How to Play, Episode F, How to Play's Top 50 Games. Hello and welcome to the How to Play podcast, coming to you from the How to Play studios in Buffalo, New York. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this podcast is about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I give an explanation of how to play a game, just as if I was sitting across the table from you and we were about to play the game together. This podcast is intended for use in learning about a game you may not know much about, learning how to play a game by yourself, or to serve as a model on how to explain the rules of this game or others. If you like the show, join and participate in our guild at BoardGameGeek. For more information about all the How to Play podcast episodes, the corresponding teaching guides, and the discussion forums, refer to the How to Play Geek list, for which you can find a link there at the guild. You can also check out our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com, where you can support the show with a PayPal donation, and I can be contacted at the guild on BoardGameGeek or directly at my email address, howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome to a very special edition of How to Play. This is a lettered episode, meaning it's a little bit different than our standard episodes where we take a game and I explain to you how to play it. For today's episode, I thought I would go through and come up with a list of my 50 favorite games and number those from number 50 to number 1. As of today, and today's date is December 4th, 2010. So first, a few words of explanation. First of all, why? Why should I give a list of these 50 games? Who really cares anyways? Well, one of the reasons for this episode was the episode I did a few months ago, episode D, was one of the more popular episodes, and I found that a lot of people were interested on getting more opinions on all of the game choices that we have available. And I've been on my soapbox the last few weeks about really getting some great games and really digging into playing some great games. Well, which game should you choose? Hopefully this list of my favorite top 50 games will give you another tool to make your decisions. I've always loved to hear people's lists like this. I always enjoy checking out the ratings on BoardGameGeek to see what everybody at BoardGameGeek thinks is the top 100 or so games. Of course, the problem with those rankings is that you're only getting a picture of the whole massive community, and sometimes you get a bit of groupthink in there. It's really nice to be able to hear from one voice, to see the things that they like and don't like and the reasons for that. In fact, some of the inspiration here is derived from my arch enemy, Tom Vassell, at the Dice Tower, and every year he puts out a list of his top 100 games. And I've always enjoyed seeing his list and seeing how things move on his list, and I thought it's always good to have some differing opinions, as Tom and I's views on games are wildly different, as you'll see in this list. And hopefully this list will just give you one more perspective on what some of the greatest games are out there. So why just 50? Why not a full 100 like Mr. Vassal does? Well, we have a different philosophy over here at How to Play, and that philosophy is play great games more often. I haven't included a lot of light games, little filler games, short games. Not that I don't respect a great filler. I think games like For Sale and No Thanks are great, and, and coming up with those ideas, they're, they're fantastic designs, and they're fun every once in a while. But when I'm looking for great games, I'm looking for a game experience. And that's something that usually, for me at least, I just can't fit that in to 10 or 20 minutes. And I wanted to only put games on the list that I really liked. And something I learned from putting this list together is that I only really love about 30 or 40 games. 
I'd only say really like the last 10 or 15 games on the list, and, and I kind of struggled with those. And this is just, I guess, part of the way that I approach the hobby. I'm looking for some really good games, and I want to play those games many, many times. I mean, if you think about it, for your average Joe, how many gaming experiences do you get in a year? I would say I hope to get about one a week, so about 50 a year. 50 game experiences. And each of those game experiences, maybe a three or four hour session, you probably get one big game to the table. Maybe two if it's it's full day. So for me, I know I'm only going to play, you know, at most 100 games during the year. And so for me, I'd rather play the games I love twice than all the games I kind of like once. Plus, we do got to figure in some time to learn some new games as well. I love replaying games. I think playing games the second, the third, the tenth time is often much better than the first time. And for me, I really try to ride that balance between I like to learn some new games, but I also really like to try to get better at games. And because of that, I really like games that are replayable. And I will tell you, all the games on this list are very replayable. They're worthy of playing at least 10 times, and you'll hear me state uh, that many of them I've played over 100 times. And they are good enough games that they deserve that number of playings. And so that was my decision to include the top 50 games. Plus, it makes the episode a heck of a lot shorter. And I guarantee that the games on this list are twice as good as the games on Tom Vassell's list. Well, at least in my opinion. It goes without saying that each person has to sort of find their own niche and discover the genres that they like and the games that really appeal to them. And these are my top 50. My criteria for this list are my favorite games. If I could only keep 50 games, which 50 games would I keep? And so it's completely subjective and completely based on my own personal opinion and bias. What sort of experience do I bring to the table? Well, I've been playing Euro games, modern games, since about 1996, so almost 15 years of game playing, and I've played hundreds of different games. And I'm pretty picky about the types of games that I like. What are some of my biases that I bring to the table? Well, if you've listened to the show at all or episode D, you know some of these things already. I prefer heavier strategy games. Some of the things that really make a game fun for me include a game with some tension, a game with some difficult choices, a game that includes some sort of a struggling element where you start off in a difficult situation and you have to work your way out of it. I like games with a learning curve that really rewards repeated play. I really enjoy integrated theme when mechanics match the theme in interesting ways. And I like a game with a good amount of interaction. There's a lot of game categories that I don't particularly care for, and you shouldn't be surprised games of these genres not on the list. I don't really like war games, cooperative games, miniature games, dexterity games, racing games, um, and any of those hand management type games, as well as party games. You'll definitely find a bent toward some of the heavier games. I think one thing I've learned about myself is because I am a teacher and I spend a lot of time in the classroom, in my classroom I use a lot of lighter games, sort of role-playing type games, cooperative activities, those sorts of things. And, And when I'm not at work, I really prefer a more strategic, competitive experience. The games I like are typically sort of the Euro style of games. I really like worker placement games, games with resource management, games with interesting historical themes. It can be sometimes train themes are appealing to me. I also like trick-taking games and auction games. So those are some of the things you can expect to see on this list. The format for the list is I'm going to keep it very simple. 
For each game, I'll tell you the name of the game, and I will give you a very brief description of what the game is like. Then I'll explain why I love this game, and why it's on the list, and why it is where it is on the list. So without further ado, let's get to the list. How to Play's Top 50 Games as of 2010. Number 50 to 41. Number 50, Ellison, The First City. Ellison was designed by Klaus Teuber, the designer of Settlers of Catan, and it's sort of a spin-off with that same franchise, but it has very little in common with the Settlers of Catan. What you're doing in Ellison is you're building buildings within the city, and players are, are building buildings all over the city, but then you're even allowed to build bigger buildings and build them on top of buildings that have been already built. So there's a lot more direct conflict than there is in your typical Toyber or Catan game. And I really like it. There's a lot of difficult decisions to make. It's much different than, than any Catan game, so don't go in expecting Settlers of Catan. There is a lot of direct conflict, and it's a lot of fun. So if you haven't yet, give this one a shot. Number 50, Ellisund. Number 49, Tikal. Tikal is designed by the design team of Kiesling and Kramer. And this game is very well known for its action point mechanic. The action point mechanic is very simple, yet quite brilliant. There are many different actions for you to choose from, and each action costs a number of action points. You get 10 on a turn to decide how you want to move around the board, explore for the hidden temples, dig for the artifacts, and so on. This causes a lot of difficult decisions about how you want to play your turn, and makes for a very interesting game. This is sort of the poster child for AP, as there are so many different decisions you can make on your turn. But it's also part of what makes the game great and a ton of fun. And so my number 49 is Tikal. Number 48, Citadels. Citadels was designed by Bruno Feduti, and the main mechanic of the game is drafting cards, which will select your role for the turn. The idea of the game is that you're trying to build castles, and each turn through a draft that all players will participate in, you're going to choose one character that's going to give you a special ability. And some of the different characters interact with each other. For example, the assassin lets you kill one of the other characters, though you don't know which player is which character. Though it's not the most strategic game, it is a lot of fun for gamers or non-gamers. It provides for a lot of fun psychological mind games. You know, a lot of people complain about this game because of getting killed by the assassin turn after turn. But for me, it's just all part of the game. And it's not a game you can take too seriously. But it is a game that you can have a lot of fun with and just have a great time within about one hour time frame. It should take with a four or five player game. I covered this in How to Play episode number 14. And that's number 48, Citadels. Number 47, Struggle for Rome. This was a Catan variant designed by Klaus Teuber, but again, it feels like a very different game. It's much closer than Ellison to the game of Catan, whereas you have things adjacent to hexes that are going to earn you resources. Those things that earn you resources are barbarian hordes, and you move those barbarian hordes across the board, and you have to decide where to set up shop. And that decision of when to stop roaming the board and, and set up shop makes for a very interesting game. There's a lot of other unique elements to it. And I love how it captured that historical feeling of the barbarians invading Rome. If you like Catan and maybe just gotten a little bit tired of it, I really recommend this variation. There are a lot of different variations out there. I didn't really like the Trails to Rails one. I don't know about those Catan geographies. I don't know how much they changed the game. But this one really changes the game and makes it very interesting. So I recommend it. Number 47, Struggle for Rome. 
Number 46, Keithedral. Keithedral was designed by Richard Breeze, and it's a very clever resource management game. The game seems inspired from Settlers of Catan, as you have, instead of hexagons, you have octagons, and in between those octagons are different workers, and those workers are going to claim those octagons to get resources from them. It's a very unique spin on how to collect resources. And they, you take those resources and you use them to build different parts of the cathedral, which give you points. You can fence off workers from getting to the octagons that you want to get to. You can play different cards throughout the game, which have impacts. And as the game goes along, it's revealed which resources you need to build the cathedral. Very interesting and fun little medium-weight game by Richard Breeze, Cathedral. Number 45, Robo Rally by Richard Garfield. This game is probably one of the most oddball games on the list. A lot of the other games sort of just fit into the sort of game that I typically like. Robo Rally is a very chaotic, crazy game. Uh, you're putting robots down, people program how they want the robots to move, and then everybody reveals simultaneously, and with any luck, they all crash into each other and laser each other, and, and then you have even less cars to try to manage where your robot wants to go, and he falls into a pit and everybody laughs at you. There's some strategy in the programming, but that's not really what I like about this game. I, I really just like to watch the ensuing chaos, like to watch the robots bounce into each other. You know, we've played this with teams and had a lot of fun with that. It's a really nice way to play it because if someone gets too far ahead, then some other players can just play the enforcer and go after them and try to stop them from reaching their goal. So, it's again, it's not a game to take too seriously, but it's a great game to play with a big group of people and just laugh and have a good time. That's number 45, Robo Rally. Number 44, Alhambra. Alhambra is designed by Dirk Hen. It's a game about building a palace. You're going to be buying these different tiles to add to your palace. And you're trying to win different categories. There's six different colors of tiles. And you're, you're paying for them with four different kinds of money. And so you have to see you know, which tower requires which kind of money. I enjoy this game because it offers good strategic decisions for the weight that it has. It's sort of light, medium weight. It, it's fun to play with gamers or non-gamers. It's a lot of interaction as you're watching to see what other people purchase. You're, you're trying to decide whether to save up to try to get that extra turn or get what you need right now. You have to make a lot of decisions, um, you know, long-term strategy versus get what I need now. And so that tension is a lot of fun. I covered this on episode 18 of How to Play. That's number 44, Alhambra. Number 43, Carson City. Carson City was designed by Xavier Georges. Carson City is a worker placement game that you can tell got a lot of inspiration from some older worker placement games, notably Kalis, as it has sort of that path that people are playing workers on a path, and then after all the workers have been placed, the actions are resolved by going down the path and resolving different actions. The twist that Carson City added was that once a person went to an area, it didn't block you out. You could also go to that area and have a duel. And you could build up guns, guns were a resource in the game, and you could build up guns to make sure that you had a better chance of winning that duel. One of the elements I really like is that if you choose not to play as many cowboys as the other people do, you can choose to pass early. And if you have more cowboys, then that adds to your amount of firepower in the duel. So it has that same sort of Kalis mechanic of 
mm, when should I pass? I, I want to do another action, but if I don't pass, then I'm probably not going to be able to win this duel. I've only had a chance to play it a few times, but it's really up my alley, and I really enjoy it, even if it adds a, a little bit more randomness than my most favorite worker placement game, which, of course, we'll talk about in a little bit. But that's number 43, Carson City. Number 42, Chinatown. Chinatown was designed by Karsten Hartwig, and Chinatown is simply the ultimate negotiation game. It has everything you need in a great negotiation game. You have some resources, and you want your opponent's resources. There's, there's many different types of resources. You could have, you'll have lots in Chinatown, and eventually you'll be building buildings on those lots. So you can trade the buildings, or you can trade the lots, or you can trade money, or you can trade the goods, and there's so much trading that goes on. There's this massive negotiation phase where everybody's just talking to everybody, trying to get these different elements. And there's enough random elements in the game so that you're not quite sure what everything is worth, but you have a good enough idea to feel like it's not completely random that you can make a, a decent deal, though you're not quite sure what things are worth. Figuring out the value of things is not as complicated as it is in some other negotiation games. It's only about an hour long, uh, but it just it packs a lot of game into that hour. But just realize going into this, this is just straight negotiation. And the person who's best able to you know, work with the other people and get the deals that they want are, are very likely to win. If you like that sort of thing, this is the game you need to get. That's number 42, Chinatown. Number 41, A Game of Thrones, designed by Christian Peterson and Kevin Wilson. This is another oddball game on my list. This is very close to a war game. You are you have different areas on the board, and you're trying to take more area. And the way that you do that is in, in each province that you control, you sort of select an action by placing a disc on it. And everyone reveals those discs at the same time, whether they're going to attack, defend, or support other people in their attacks, which is very nice. And, and the game was well designed, but I'll be completely honest with you. The reason I like Game of Thrones is because it's Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is my, some of my favorite books. I just enjoy the story. I love the characters in the game. And they did a, a relatively good job of incorporating that feeling within the, the stories of the constant backstabbing and the fighting between the different families and the incorporation of, of what the different characters do within the game. And you have the geography there that's worked into the game. And so I, I really enjoy playing this game because it reminds me of, of my favorite story and I feel like I'm playing out some of the elements in my favorite story. This is probably the only game on this list that falls into that category, that the reason I love it so much is mainly because of that theme. And so that's why I love number 41, A Game of Thrones. Number 40 to number 31. Number 40, Dimaka. Dimaka was designed by Karl Heinz Schmiel. It is a legendary Euro game. It's probably one of the oldest games that could probably be called a Euro game. One of the first games with lots of little colored cubes and you're fiddling them all around with lots of different phases. But the idea of the game is German elections, which turns some people off. But the integrated theme in this game is just excellent. It's sometimes hard to find people to play this one, and I'm, I've just been able to get a, enough plays under my belt to really start to appreciate this game more and more, and I hope to be able to play it more and more often. 
the thought that went into the design of matching, the idea of matching your own political party's views and compromising those to the popular views in a region or of the greater nation is just a fascinating idea. And the way that he combined those ideas and, and combined all these phases and mechanics to create this narrative of politics is, is just really great. And so if you haven't given this one a shot yet, you really need to be able to dive into it. It's not something you're just going to be able to play once. If you have people who are willing to dive into it, it's a great experience. Democker. Number 39, Raw. Raw was designed by Reiner Knizia. This is a simple auction game where you're auctioning groups of tiles. And on your turn, you're simply going to draw a tile. Or, and you see the group of tiles and you want to start the bid, you call out, as Scott Nicholson would say, Raw! I might have just woken my baby up. But anyway, so there's all these different kinds of tiles with all sorts of different categories. And so there's six or seven different ways to score, and you have to look at that group of tiles and decide, is this worth me using one of my three bids on this time? I am terrible at this game, but I always enjoy playing it. It's a little lower than some other Nitzia auction games just because... With the three sons, I find that just very limiting. And I like more the open auction style rather than am I going to go for it or am I not going to go for it. And there's many situations where you want to be able to bid, but you just can't. But it is a very good game, which is why it's on this list. And that's number 39, Raw. Number 38, La Chita. La Chita, it looks like La Cita for those of you looking for it, was designed by Gerd Fenchel. And the reason La Chita is on this list is because it's one of the most original games that I've played. When people ask me, what is La Chita like? I can't tell you another game that it is like. The mechanics are very original, and I, I don't know where the inspiration from them came. One of the really neat mechanics is you're trying to build three different types of buildings. You're building civilizations, and you're building three types of buildings trying to meet the needs of what the people want. And it's sort of semi-hidden what the people want and so you have to keep balance between these three different buildings and then you have the ability to suck population away from your neighbor's civilizations it is a harsh game and people learning this game can have a tough time of it as as there's really a lot to get at and if you make mistakes you're going to be in a big hole early and won't be able to recover but it's a very original game and the civilization theme is one i enjoy quite a bit though it doesn't have that civilization building feel it still just has a unique feel of building up these different communities. And so if you haven't tried this one, I really recommend it. That's number 38, La Chita. Number 37, Domain. Domain was designed by Klaus Teuber, and Domain is played on a large square board, and you are creating domains by fencing off this large square board into smaller sections that you control. And you want to try to control the areas with the mines and, and the things that have value. And then you're able to, to push into other people's domains. Again, the originality is, is something I enjoy about this game. There, there's not any other games really like Domain, other than, of course, Lowenhertz, which is the original game that Toyber designed, and it evolved into Domain. There is conflict in the game, but it's really fun to just see the pushing that goes on, and the turns are very quick. I always enjoy games that, that feel like a good, meaty, strategic game, but just fit in like just an hour or just over an hour. And I can feel like I had a good experience, but not have a game that takes two or three hours. If you're looking for something like that, you got to play Domain number 37. Number 36, Wizard. Wizard is designed by Ken Fisher. You may be thinking that this is some sort of crazy dungeon quest thematic fantasy flight game, but no, it's just a simple trick-taking card game. 
It's very simple. Players start with one card, and next round they'll have two cards, next round three cards. And each turn, players have to decide how many tricks they want to take. And it starts off very easy, and then it gets more and more difficult as the rounds continue, because you have to make exactly your bid. This is a very simple game, but it's a lot of fun. I've played this game hundreds and hundreds of times, and it works with anyone. I really love the beauty of just a good trick-taking game, and I think Wizard is a really good trick-taking game. There's two special cards, the Wizards and the Jesters, and they really help add strategy to the choices that you can make when you play your hand. Also, the fact that you get a, a bonus if you match your bid exactly counteracts the need to have to draw aces or, or powerful hands. This is a really great game to play with family and non-gamers and, or just play at the end of the night. Number 36, Wizard. Number 35, Kronos, designed by Arnaud Urban and Ludovic Viala. This was covered in How to Play, episode number 22. And the thing I love about this game is really the amazing way that the designers handled the theme of time travel. One great way to describe it is it's like Tigris and Euphrates on three separate boards at the same time. And you're bouncing between these boards and you're able to affect multiple boards on a turn as each board represents a different time period. The rules are very hard to understand the first time through them, but you know maybe you could just listen to a certain podcast and, and maybe that can help you out with that. It's really just neat to see the different boards interact and the way that the theme was tied into the mechanics. I really enjoy this game. Number 35, Kronos. Number 34, Carcassonne. Carcassonne was designed by Klaus Jürgen Red. It's a very popular game. I'm sure almost everybody who's listening to this has probably played it and comes with infinite variations. But it's really just a great game, especially we enjoy that. My wife and I have played it quite a bit, just two-player. I think that's my favorite way to play it, just two-player. It's a fun, light little game. You're building these castles. I always enjoy to, to see the castles spread out throughout the table. The games from the series I own are the original with the Inns and Cathedrals and the Traders and Builders expansion. And we work those in sometimes, but sometimes I find those just to be a bit long. And, and we've gone back to just straight up original Carcassonne. We also have Carcassonne the City, which is the one in the nice big wood box. So I'm going to lump all these Carcassonne games together as they're pretty much all the same. And I really like that one. It's just it's a pretty version as you build the wooden walls and the gate and things around it. Sometimes it's got a bit of fussiness remembering to, to build those walls. And sometimes it's nice to just play the original version. Just draw a tile, play a tile, draw a tile, play a tile. That farmer's rule sometimes kind of bothers me. Somehow I feel if the original game didn't have that farmer's rule or had a, a simpler, more elegant farmer's rule, I think it would just be a really great gateway game. But sometimes those farmers can get in the way of explaining and, and having non-gamers understand the game. It is a very good game, and I'm often willing to play it. Number 34, Carcassonne. Number 33, Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal was designed by Reiner Knizia. This is one that's relatively new to me, but I've really been getting into it, and I'm eager to play it more. It's a different kind of auction game. Players have cards in their hands, and they're bidding, but the, the way the bidding works is a bit different as players have five different categories of icons on the cards. There's 12 different auctions in the game, and for each round, each of the 12 rounds, a player will play cards to stay in the auction. 
and then if you have more icons than anyone else at the table, you can withdraw from the auction and get a reward. But if you don't, if you're tied from other people, then you can't get a reward. So it becomes this game of chicken, whereas how many resources or cards do you want to play in each of the 12 rounds? In some rounds, you just have to sort of forfeit and gather your troops for another round. It's very fascinating figuring out that decision of when to go for it and when to not. As with any Knizia game, there's, there's several different scoring mechanisms for how to score, and so you have to weigh which of those scoring methods you're going to go for. It has a lot of interesting decisions, and if you haven't tried this one yet and you like Knizia's other auction games, well, this is a, a very unique twist on his auction game, so give this one a shot. Number 33, Taj Mahal. Let's stay with Knizia for number 32, Modern Art. Modern Art is a great straight auction game because it's it's just simply auctions. Players take turns selling one of their cards, and each card has a designated type of auction on it. Whether it's a secret auction, players hold the amount of money they want in their in their hand, and then players reveal it simultaneously, or an open auction, or a once-around auction. And you just have those different auctions, and you're weighing those auctions against how many of certain colored cards come out. That's what determines the value of certain cards. So you have to sort of weigh that value as the different colored cards come out. I really like the the math puzzle of this game, figuring out what is that exact right number to bid. And I love open auctions. I, I think they're great. I think they're a great test of skill. One thing I don't like about this game is the double auction cards. There are certain cards that let you play two cards, which makes it twice as valuable to you, which seems a little off-balanced which is the thing I most dislike about this game. But it is a very fun auction game and a good challenge. Number 32, Modern Art. Number 31, Eric Summer, this one is for you, Merchant of Venus, designed by Richard Hamblin. This game was introduced to me by the famous Eric Summer at Origins this year, which was a good thing and a bad thing. It was good because I learned about a great, exciting new game that I, I had never considered playing before. But the bad news was was that I was going to have to spend hours and hours laminating pieces, cutting pieces, sticking pieces, spray painting boxes, hours and hours of work to create my own copy because you can get your own copy for a very expensive price, or if you make your own, it looks a heck of a lot better. So I chose to, to make my own. But anyways, Merchant of Venus, what is it? It is a pick-up-and-deliver game, one of my favorite kinds of games, crossed with an exploration game. You're basically going to a planet, and you can buy goods there, and then you want to sell them, but they'll only sell at certain planets. The trick of the game is at the beginning of the game, you don't know where any of the planets are. So the first part of the game is just sort of going out and trying to find the different planets. And then you have the difficult choices of, do I pick up goods to try to deliver it to a planet we haven't discovered yet? Or do I just keep exploring? And then later in the game, you have to try to find the most efficient way to make money the fastest. It is really a lot of fun. The only reason it's not higher on my list, it is a bit fiddly. There are millions of pieces and fiddling with all those different pieces. It takes a lot of work to get all those pieces out, put all the pieces away. But the experience is worth it, which is why it's number 31, Merchant of Venus. Number 30 to number 21. Number 30, Starfarers of Catan. Starfarers of Catan is another variant on the Settlers series, but it's a really good one. It really builds in that 
feeling of exploration. It's Catan in space. And it adds so much more than your regular Catan experience. Everyone starts with a couple planets, just like settlements, I guess, in regular Catan. And you start shooting off into space, trying to find more places to drop settlements or colonies. But you also are competing for trade with the different aliens. And the great thing is, every once in a while, you'll have an adventure. And you get an adventure card, which is basically like a sort of choose-your-own-adventure. And it asks you if you want to go try to rescue a princess or or trade with space pirates or whatever it might be. And whereas these decisions might seem random a la Tales of the Arabian Nights, after playing this game a while, you realize that these choices are based on the resources that you've gathered for your ship. And so they aren't entirely random. It is a lot longer than regular settlers, but it's a very fun thematic experience. So I know it's out of print now, which is a real shame. I hope it gets back into print soon. That's number 30, Starfares of Catan. Number 29, Tichu. Now the designer listed on the geek is Urs Hostetler, though they claim that it's an, an ancient Chinese game. So I, I don't know quite where the origins of Tichu lie, but it, it is a very popular card game, and well, popular to board game geeks. It's a great card game. It's what we call a ladder trick-taking game, which means that instead of just playing one card, you play a combination of cards. I could lay, for example, a pair. And in order to take the trick, everybody has to lay pairs, and whoever lays the highest pair will win the trick. Or I might lay a five-card straight, and you can beat me, but only if you lay another five-card straight. So it's that mechanic just there that that makes the game a lot of fun because you have so many decisions you have 14 cards and if you have the lead you have a lot of choices on how to play your hand do you start with that straight do you start with just an ace do you start with a seven what what do you start with and there's so many different ways to play your hand as compared to many other trick-taking games there honestly just isn't a lot of decisions and a lot of them just come down to who gets dealt the most aces it's still a card game so whoever gets dealt better cards does have an advantage but there is quite a learning curve to this game and if you haven't gotten into teach you yet you really should a great place to play it of course is on brett spielveld and if you'd like to learn teach you you could check out how to play episode number two it's number 29 teach you Number 28, the Settlers of Catan. This list has to involve Settlers of Catan. I really love this game. It's it's the game that really got me back into board games. I was a Magic player for many years, and one of the games I picked up at my Magic store, because I had store credit, was the Settlers of Catan. And it saved me. It brought me back from CCGs and magic and brought me back into board games and the wonderful world of board games and, and allowed me to, to just dive back into the hobby of board games that I loved uh, from being a small child. So I could not not include the Settlers of Catan. And I've had great experiences playing it with neighbors and friends and introducing it to all sorts of people. I've also had very bad experiences as I've learned the tough lesson that not everybody is meant for Settlers of Catan, but it is a great fantastic game. 
it is a very good next step game. It, it's a good litmus test to see whether, you know, people you're hanging out with, if you bring this out, if they like Settlers, they'd probably be interested in learning others, interesting Euro games. And just the impact it's had on bringing great games to America and inspiring American designers. You gotta have respect for number 28, the Settlers of Catan. Number 27, Reef Encounter. Reef Encounter is designed by Richard Breeze. Reef Encounter is a game of combating corals. It's a tile placement game. You're, you're building these groups of adjacent tiles. And eventually these groups of tiles are, are going to start interacting with each other. And you can eat other players' tiles. You're trying to eventually build the largest group of tiles and then eat those tiles. And you're working to make those tiles worth more points than your opponent's. It's a game with a lot of conflict and a lot of interesting decisions. The rule book is not very good, and it can be pretty tough to learn. In which case, I suggest how to play episode number 12. But once you understand the game, you start to see the depth of the game, and the, the amount of decisions, and the learning curve, and how much is involved in this game. And it really fits that theme. You really feel like you're building corals and having corals eat each other, and the mechanics really match that theme in an interesting way. So that's why I like number 27, Reef Encounter. Number 26, Stone Age, designed by Michael Tummelhofer. Stone Age takes the idea of a worker placement game and boils it down to its core. It makes it very easy to understand and adds the, the fun element of being able to roll dice to gather resources. And the amount of workers you allocate to an area, say I allocate three workers to the forest to get wood, I get to roll three dice to see how much wood I get. Which adds a lot of fun because you, know, you can just cheer for high numbers. But there's a lot of other elements. Once you get the resources, you have to decide how to use those resources to best get the most victory points. This is a great, what we call, next step game or, or medium weight game. Anyone can play, but it seems to have a lot of luck involved, but if you play it a lot, you can really get good at this game. There is a lot of depth there. I covered this in How to Play episode number 6. It is a fantastic game. Number 26, Stone Age. Number 25, Santiago. Santiago was designed by Claudia Healy and Roman Pellick, and this is a game about building farms with tiles and then trying to make sure that those farms get watered. And this is a brutal game because each turn one player will be the canal overseer and they gets to decide where the canal goes. And if the canal doesn't go where you've placed your tile, your crops are going to dry up and be worthless. And so each player gets a chance to bribe that overseer to get the canal to go the way they want and players can team up to get the canal to go a certain direction. This is a game that I feel is falling off the radar and it shouldn't because it is fantastic. It is elegant and wonderful. It, it just takes about an hour, but it has these agonizing decisions. And it has this psychological game of how much money can I pay you to make the canal go where I want it to? Or is there any amount of money I can pay you or should I just save my money? Which tile should I take as is there any chance I'm going to get my tile to be watered this turn? There's so many little decisions that make a big difference. It is a fantastic game. Don't let anybody tell you different. It is a shame that this game is as low as it is in the ratings, not even in the top 100 anymore. If you haven't played this one yet, you must. It's my number 25, Santiago. Number 24, Medici. Medici was designed by Reiner Knizia. 
and it's the last of the trilogy of auction games, and it's the highest on my list of Medici, raw, and modern art. The reason it's the highest is because I love the simple elegance of it. It's just one after another of open auctions, and you're faced with a set of goods, and you have to decide based on you know the scoring conditions that are set up how valuable you think those goods are going to be worth to you. Every once in a while you get the decision of deciding how many of those goods will be available. But the, the biggest part of the game is just looking at a set of goods and deciding on the value of what that might be worth based on what other players have and what other goods might come out of the bag. It is my favorite straight auction game out there. If you like auction games and you haven't played Medici, you're nuts. So you need to go get Medici. It also plays up to six players. You can play it in under an hour. It's fantastic. Number 24, Medici. Number 23, The Cities and Knights of Catan, designed by Klaus Teuber. All right, so you might have figured out by now that I really like the Catan series, and I really like Klaus Teuber. This is the last Toyber game on the list. It's the one that's the highest up on the list. And here's the reason why. In college, we played Catan quite a bit, but it got stale quickly. But then we introduced the Cities and Knights version, and we ate that up. I have played this many, many times. Maybe a hundred? I don't know. That might be pushing it. But I've played it a lot. The reasons we liked it were that above and beyond regular Catan, you, you earned cards, and you were able to play those cards. And those cards were pretty ruthless. They let you do mean things to each other. And it, it pumped this game up with a negotiation aspect to it of who should you play those cards on? You got to hit him because he's winning. And so these cards would fly back and forth and people would, you know, do nasty things to each other and, and just have these arguments. Who's winning? I'm not winning. You're winning. No, you're winning. And some of my best game memories are playing the Cities and Knights of Catan in college. We had a great time. We played it with six players. It, it drags forever with six players, but we didn't care. We were in college. We didn't have to get up in the morning. And if if you look at people's top whatever lists, usually games that are inordinately up higher on their lists, and this is probably one of them for me, are the games that just have great game memories for them, um, you know, when they were younger or whenever throughout their gamer history. And that is, this is definitely one of those for me. And that is number 23, The Cities and Knights of Catan. Number 22, Railroad Tycoon. Designed by Glenn Drover and Martin Wallace. This was the first attempt by Martin Wallace to you know, try to make his game Age of Steam more accessible to the masses. The original game had this massive map. It was about the size of Luxembourg. And it, but it had really neat components. And, and the tiles were all pretty. And it, it was a really good looking game. It wasn't quite as strategic as the original game because of some random cards that would flip up. And the original board that was made for the game was kind of silly because all of the cities on that northeast coast, there were a bunch that were like one hex apart and it was really cheap and really ridiculous and really broken in that upper northeast. And the rest of the board was just brutal. But as the game has developed, they have made better maps for it. Uh, the European map, the England map, and I think more are coming. The Australian map, that was designed by Jason Spears. It's a beautiful map, and if you have the capabilities, you should print it out and play it. It's a really nice map. 
it's turned out to be a very good system. And if I have people that I know that Age of Steam probably isn't sort of their sort of thing, I'll happily pull out Railroad Tycoon. I know there's a lot of people that will turn up their nose that it's it's not quite Age of Steam, and, and I understand that. I'd rather play Age of Steam, but every once in a while, I like Railroad Tycoon. It has just sort of a, a niceness, and the components are are all pretty and schlocky, and every once in a while I just enjoy, for a refreshing change, a nice game of Railroad Tycoon. Of course, we should mention that it's not sold as Railroad Tycoon anymore. You could buy it as Railways of the World. Number 21, In the Year of the Dragon. In the Year of the Dragon was designed by Stefan Feld. The idea of this game is that you are taking turns, taking an action, and adding a person to your kingdom, I guess, and each person makes your actions better. So you have to sort of strategize about which of these persons you want to build up early in the game. The trick to this game is that there's a series of 12 disasters that are going to be coming starting with the third turn. And so you want to choose your persons based on those disasters that are going to come and just rip your kingdom to shreds. Now, you're not going to be able to prevent everything. You just don't have enough time. So the idea is, how can I best manage all of these horrible things that are going to happen? Which is a thing that I really like. I understand how some people might not find this as an enjoyable experience. I find that tension of trying to decide, all right, how am I going to deal with this? And so much of it is public and and just out there. And then you have another very interesting mechanic of you also have to fight for turn order for who gets to decide which action to do first. There's a lot of great mechanics in here, which I would expect of one of my favorite designers, Stefan Feld. If you like sort of that struggle, the tension, disaster management, if that sounds like something exciting to you, I really recommend checking out my number 21 game in the Year of the Dragon. Number 20 to number 11. Number 20, Acquire. Acquire is an older game designed by Sid Saxon, and this is really a classic. It is a beautiful game. On each turn, you must expand the board, and then you're going to buy three shares. And the shares are in the companies that are growing on the board. And eventually, because you're, you're playing these tiles, these companies are going to merge within each other. And the trick of the game is to keep your money flowing by getting yourself into positions where your companies get merged into. So you get more money, so you can buy more stock, and repeat and repeat. But that's a lot easier said than done. The way the board develops like a story, and the way it models, the way that small businesses and big businesses interact is just really fascinating to me. I I always enjoy playing this game. It always lends itself as well to very strategic decisions as each turn you have to decide which stock is best for me to get into. You can get this game very cheaply. There's about a million copies out there, and the reason there's so many copies is because it's such a great game. And if you never played it, shame, shame on you. Number 20, Acquire. Number 19, Union Pacific, designed by Alan Moon. Union Pacific looks like Ticket to Ride, but it's not really anything like Ticket to Ride. It's more like Acquire, the game I just described. Railroads are being constructed on the board, and and railroads are, are getting bigger and bigger. And then you're also buying stock in the different railroads as they grow throughout the board. 
And so you have to decide whether to grow one of these railroads or to increase your investments in the different railroads. And then throughout the game, there are payout cards and players get payouts based on the shares that they hold. It's a fascinating, elegant game requiring a lot of difficult decisions as far as, you know, do I want to invest more or do I need to build up my company more? It's a great game. I'm so sad that no one can get it. In fact, I don't own this game, and I really want a copy of it. I think it's getting reprinted with sort of an an airline theme or something, but they've been saying this for about 87 years, and so I don't know if it will ever come out. I just want a copy of Union Pacific because it's great just the way that it is. So I hope you get a chance to try or maybe own number 19, Union Pacific. Number 18, Coliseum. Coliseum was designed by Kramer and Lubke, and the idea of it is that you are collecting resources, gladiators and comedians and scenery and ships and various things. You've got to collect various combinations in order to put on performances. And so you get those resources uh, through auction and through trading, and then you put them on and and try to get as many bonuses as possible. This is sort of a follow-up to a very popular game, Princes of Florence, I like Colosseum a lot better just because it adds a lot more fun. Princes of Florence, I thought, was a bit mathematical, and and Colosseum just adds a lot more interaction. It lightens it up a bit more, and the theme adds so much more to it than that medieval prince's theme ever did for me. I covered this game in How to Play episode 21, so I hope you'll check that out. Number 18, Colosseum. Number 17, Hansa Teutonica, designed by Andreas Stedding. This is one of my new favorite games. I think it's the best game from 2009. Small World has nothing on this game. The gameplay is very simple, but the choices are very deep. In the early game, you're simply laying two cubes, and the idea is you want to make connections, and the connections require three or four cube placements, so it will take a couple turns to make those connections. But players can also block each other from making those connections. And when you're making those connections, you can score special abilities. You can take up shop in one of the ends of those connections to score points whenever someone scores on those connections. Or you're trying to make a very large path of connections across the board. There's not a lot as far as theme here, but the gameplay is very fascinating because there's multiple paths to victory and each turn offers a variety of choices, but the gameplay is very fast. I very much enjoy this one. Number 17, Hansa Teutonica. Number 16, Ticket to Ride, designed by Alan Moon. This one is a classic and it's got to make the list because of the simple elegance of it, just the great fun that's involved in playing this game. Everyone loves this game. I've played this game with tons of people, and everyone always loves it. Except for cynical jerks who think they're too good for Ticket to Ride. You gotta respect Ticket to Ride. It is elegant brilliance. You have to make that critical decision. Do I collect more resources, or do I invest on the board now? And each turn that tension builds as to when am I going to start laying my track? And then when people start laying track, the decision, oh, which track do I need to go for? Where is she going? I can't imagine that anyone listening to this has not played Ticket to Ride. But if you haven't, I will visit your house and teach you to play Ticket to Ride. Email me at howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. Or better yet, just listen to How to Play episode number one. Ticket to Ride, number 16. Number 15. Tigris and Euphrates, designed by Reiner Knizia. This is a tile placement game where you're 
building groups of adjacent tiles and then you're going to smash those groups of tiles into other groups and you're trying to you know collect points there's four different points and the problem is you have to collect all four different colors of points equally and so that that conflict gets very tense and you try to figure out what colors other players are going for and seeing these groups of tiles smash into each other and hoping you can win combats there's just a lot of things to like about this game it takes a long time to be good at and, and I'm certainly not there. I've only played the game maybe 10 or 15 times and I, I just don't quite have a strategic handle on it yet and I, I would love to, to get better at it and play it more. It's a bit hard to teach and so maybe you can learn it from how to play episode number 5. That's number 15, Tigris and Euphrates. Number 14, Goa, designed by Rudiger Dorn. This is a brilliant game. It has a lot of interesting elements to it. There's one of the best auction elements in the in a game, it, but it's combined with other elements as well. Players take turns deciding on one of the elements on a 5x5 five five grid that players are going to auction for. And then that's followed by an action phase where players have to make the difficult decision of whether to increase their the strength of their actions or to take one of their four actions. And they have sort of this, this action track that they can get better at actions or take an action. And that decision in itself, I think is just amazing, that action track system. I think a lot of games stole from that. I can tell you this personally because one of my own designs, uh, I, I use this concept because I, I just think it's great. theme of the game is that you're setting up colonies and getting spices and, and then selling those spices. But it's honestly not really that thematic of a game. The, the beauty of the game is in the mechanics and, and the tough decisions that you have to make. This one will really have you scratching your chin. Number 14, Goa. Number 13, Advanced Civilization. Advanced Civilization was designed by Francis Tresham. This is an oldie, but a goodie. I love the idea of starting at caveman days and just building and building this sprawling population and advancing your technology and just feeling that scope of history. Well, this is the game to do that in. The problem is, is it takes 10 to 12 hours to play. This summer, I was fortunate enough to experience a full game of Advanced Civilization. I've played many partial games, but this summer we played a full game, and it was a great experience. And I'd, I'd love to do that many more times. Now, you know, maybe once or twice a year. It's not something you can do all the time. But if you haven't had that experience, you definitely should. The great thing about Advanced Civilization is the mechanics aren't really that complex. It's pretty easy to catch on to, and it's really worth the experience if you just do it once. You know, put aside a day, someone owns the game, do it. Pull together a game of Advanced Civilization. I know there's a lot of other games that are trying to boil it down to three or four hours, but nothing can compare to this full experience of playing this grand scope of game that is Advanced Civilization, number 13. Number 12. Notre Dame. Notre Dame was designed by Stefan Feld. I just love the mechanics of this game because in this game it starts with a draft and then what you're going to do is you're going to play an action. And the more times that you take an action, the better that your actions get. But the agonizing part is that you really need to take sort of all the actions because there's a lot of pull on you. You need to get gold, you need to get cubes, and there's this rat threat that is going to plague your Parisian village if you don't take the hospital and, and get cubes into that hospital to help prevent the rats. So it's got this 
push and pull versus you want to specialize yet you sort of need to have everything. The other great thing about this game is there's multiple paths to victory. There are many different strategies that one can pursue as you learn this game. It's also not too long. It's about an hour to play, especially once you know the game and, and you're just cranking through it. This is my most recent episode, How to Play Episode 23, so I hope you'll check that out. It's my number 12 game of all time, Notre Dame. Number 11, Shogun. Shogun is a game of warriors fighting to take control of the continent of Japan. Now again, this is sort of like a war game, but not really. There's a lot of resource management in it, as you have to plan out the actions that you're going to take for that turn. You start the game with six or seven provinces, and you have ten different possible actions. And with each province, you can take one of the possible actions. So you have to decide with each province that you control, what are you going to do with that province? Are you going to collect resources? Are you going to build one of the buildings there? Are you going to build up more armies there? Are you going to make an attack to another region? What are you going to do? And that placement of deciding which province is going to do which action is just brilliant. Combined with this great idea of the order in which those occur is somewhat unknown. You know what some of them are, but you don't know what all of them are. And the order in which you're going to get those resources is very important. So you have to deal with that some of that hidden information about what the order of those actions are going to occur is. But honestly, the best part of the game throwing cubes in a cardboard tower and seeing which ones come out. Because that's how you decide battles. You, you get all the armies, you put them in a plastic cup, you shake them up, you throw them in the cup, and whichever come out are the ones that survive. And that is awesome. It's awesome, and it combines with some really good game mechanics to make a, a great game experience. So that's why it's number 11, Shogun. Number 10 to number 1. Now we're at the cream of the crop. These are my 10 favorite games of all time. These games are great, and I hope to be able to play them all a hundred more times. And if you like the same sort of games that I like, I really recommend that you pick up the games on this top 10 list. Here we go. Number 10, Agricola. Agricola was designed by Uwe Rosenberg, and the game is about farming. It's a worker placement game, and you're all medieval farmers, and it's a struggle, which is, you know, right up my alley, but you have to struggle to have enough food to survive, but at the same time, try to develop your, your farm family, and one of the ways you do that is is by having children, but in order to have children, you have to make houses, and you also are trying to bake bread or to raise animals. And each of these things you want to do requires like four or five steps of, of worker placement. And so you're competing with all of your opponents to try to do these different things. And based on the cards that you have in your hand, they give you special abilities. You have to decide which of these paths that you want to go down. There's multiple paths to victory, a lot of tough decisions, constant feeling like you just don't have enough time, you just don't have enough actions. It's a very thematic game and it's a lot of fun. You're going to learn to play this from How to Play, episode number three. Number ten, Agricola. Number nine, Puerto Rico, designed by Andreas Seifarth. This is a landmark game. 
it took the role selection from Citadels and just took it to a whole new level. The starting player changes, and when you're the start player, you have the ability to choose from one of seven different actions. And so you have to choose one of those actions, and that allows what you can do on the turn. Whether it's get a farm, collect resources from the farms, build a building, get goods, or load goods on ships. And you're trying to score victory points from two ways, from buying buildings and from shipping goods on ships. This really is a great game. It has the fault, if you want to call it a fault, of having to play with people who sort of are at the same skill level as you. As Because of the learning curve, you, you can't really play with people of large varying skill levels because if someone is just sort of playing randomly because they don't understand some of the concepts of the game it can sort of mess with the flow and and sort of play kingmaker to some of the other players and and that has been hailed as a large criticism of the game but i i really enjoy this game i I recently got the expansion thank you john i still really enjoy this game and puerto rico is one of those games when i did the how to play for it it was pretty easy because the game design is so elegant and and easy to understand. There's not a lot of niggly little rules, and it's just the design flows, and it's very intuitive. I I just think the game is beautiful. Agricola is a very good game, but it has a lot of moving parts. It's a little fiddly. It has so many pieces, so many different counters. I think Puerto Rico is just a little bit more elegant, and if I had to choose between keeping one of those two games in my collection, I think I would choose Puerto Rico. You can learn Puerto Rico from episode 7 of the How to Play podcast. It is my number 9 most favorite game. Number 8, 18xx. This has been something I've been getting into more recently, and that is the 18xx series. 18xx is a very complicated series of games, all of which are very long. You're looking at at least probably 3 to 4 hours from 8 to 10 hours. The idea of the game is that you're building different railroad companies. You have to start the railroad companies by buying shares of them, and then you're growing the railroad companies, and then you'll buy maybe a second railroad company. And you always have to keep up with the trains get better and better, and then you know your train company runs out of money, and you just have to deal with all those sorts of things. You can dump your companies on your opponents, and all sorts of interesting things happen. It really has a narrative as you start with these baby train companies, and they grow and grow to just become monstrous as there's so much track built across the land that you're playing on. 18xx is an amazing experience, and if you like... If you like Age of Steam, if you like Pick Up and Deliver, and if you like sort of Acquire and those sort of financial games, if you like good strategy games, you know, who cares about the train theme? If you like good strategy games, you will love 18xx. You need to have a group of people who are willing to really invest in it, as it is a game you're going to have to play a couple times of of a several-hour game in order to really get the true experience out of, but it is great. You can learn 1830 from episode 13 of the How to Play podcast. It's my number 8 favorite game, 18xx. Number 7, Age of Empires 3, designed by Glenn Drover. This is a worker placement game. It's all about discovering the new world. And so you're you're placing your colonists and your colonists are your workers deciding what you want to do, whether you want to explore, whether you want to land on a discovered piece of the new world, whether you want to train that colonist to turn it into a, a different kind of a worker. And this game really captured that feel of, of that sort of age of deciding whether to explore or competition for the different areas in the new world. 
this is a time period that I teach the the age of exploration and colonization and so this this theme really appeals to me but I, I think that the game design is very good as well because of the different paths of victory you can go sort of a more a trade good strategy sort of a merchant strategy you can try to colonize as much of the world you can try to explore as much as possible there's a lot of different options and it really took that mechanic of worker placement and created a beautiful game around it with that wonderful thematic feel of discovery you can learn it from episode number 10 of how to play it's my number seven favorite game age of empires 3 number six brass brass was designed by martin wallace brass is a game about trying to make money in the industrial revolution in england how you're doing that is you're you're going to purchase different sorts of businesses and you're trying to make them profitable you've got cotton mills that want to sell cotton you've got ports that want to buy the cotton from those cotton mills you have places that make iron and coal and you have shipyards and the places that sell iron and coal by building other buildings and using those resources you flip them over the cotton mills sell to the ports the way that this game all works together is quite amazing it's something that you really have to experience to believe the way that he captured the idea of making these businesses profitable and combining all these different mechanics, not only to make a game that sort of tells that story of the Industrial Revolution, but to create a very strategic game that has a lot of depth and strategic possibilities. This is a work of genius. You can learn the game. It's somewhat difficult to learn. Learn it from episode 9 of How to Play. That's my sixth favorite game, Brass. Number five, we have a newcomer to the list, and that is Dominant Species. Dominant Species was designed by Chad Jensen. It is heavily influenced by Age of Empires, has sort of that worker placement box mechanic, as you see on the map for Age of Empires. But he took that and made the actions very different. It sort of really got into this area majority game and a lot of other mechanics into you have a species maybe you're the insects or the birds and you're on earth and you're trying to spread your insects for example all over earth and then you also have to match your qualities of your animal you have to match some of these characteristics of your animal to the characteristics of the geography of the earth and i just i love that idea i think it's just brilliant so you've got actions to alter your animal you've got actions to alter the earth you've got actions to eat other animals it's great a ton of fun it's a testament that this game has risen so far in just the few months that i've had the opportunity to play it it's jumped ahead of all these other games that i love so much so really i hope you get an opportunity to play this one number five dominant species number four lahav lahav is designed by uve rosenberg and it takes the ideas of Agricola and it builds on them a little bit. You're, you're collecting these resources in order to build buildings. The theme is quite a bit different. You are in a harbor port and you're a businessman in a harbor port trying to build buildings in the city of Lahav, trying to collect goods and ship those goods to make money. There's all sorts of these different goods and, and you can upgrade the goods. The difference is instead of in Agricola where all the actions become available as getting flipped up from a deck, the players have the ability to buy buildings and the buildings themselves are different actions that the players can take. Lahav has a bit less randomness than Agricola does because Agricola has 
each player has a unique set of 14 cards that they can use, and so sometimes those cards aren't quite well balanced, which is why I would prefer, of the two games, I, I definitely prefer La Havre, as I think it's, it's a bit more strategic game. I covered this in How to Play episode number 17. It's my fourth favorite game, La Havre. Number three, Crayon Rails. Crayon Rails, designed by Darwin Bromley and Bill Fawcett. This is an oldie but a goodie. I have preached the love of Crayon Rails quite a bit over the last year, but I still think we need more of a congregation. I think we need more believers of Crayon Rails. I know it's not the highest rated game on Board Game Geek, but I have just loved the last few years of playing this great game system. The games in the system are Empire Builder, Euro Rails, Australia Rails, China Rails. There's one for about every major section of the world. The idea is you're, you're drawing crayons on a map to build track. Each city has different kinds of goods, and you're going to get demand cards. They're going to tell you that different cities want types of goods. And so you're trying to build a network of track. Each turn, you're going to move your train, and then you can build more track. You're just trying to build a really good track system so that when those demand cards come up, you can make the money the fastest and be the winner of the game. Fantastic game for two players. I was able this Thanksgiving, I showed my parents the game. It took a long time to play. It does take about an hour per player. It's typically not recommended for for more than two or three. But you know what? We had the day. We had the baby around. We just lounged around. It was, you know, I live in Buffalo, so we had tons of snow outside and it was windy and cold. So we stayed inside Thanksgiving weekend and we played crayon rails and it was a great time. And I thought, you know, after this much time, I'd get bored of Crayon Rails. I've played it, you know, over a hundred times. I don't. I still love the game, and and I look forward to many more plays of it. So I hope you'll pick up a copy of Empire Builder or one of the other Crayon Rails games today. I covered this in Episode 8 of How to Play. It's my number three favorite game, Crayon Rails. All right, the last two should be pretty obvious. If you're a loyal How to Play listener, you know what my top two favorite games are. Number two is Kalis, designed by William Attia. This started that worker placement craze in 2005, and I still believe this is the greatest worker placement game out there. Just because of the lack of luck, the different strategies, and the depth of the game that allows you to play the game over and over and over again. I covered this game in episode 15 of How to Play. It's a game that you definitely have to dig into, and you're not going to get much out of it unless you have a group of people that are willing to play it over and over again, or you dig into it online at Brett Spielveld to really appreciate the depth and joy that is Kalis, my number two game. And finally, my number one favorite bestest game of all time is Age of Steam, designed by Martin Wallace. Age of Steam is a game about building track and delivering goods. There's a lot of interaction in the game as you're competing with your opponents for the different special abilities in an auction. You're competing for space on the board to build track. You're competing for the goods to move them before they disappear. And the interaction is constant and intense. Because if you do not succeed, if you don't move enough goods you will go bankrupt. Now, this isn't a frequent occurrence if you played the game once or twice, but if you play very badly or make a horrible mistake, Age of Steam will punish you. And some people don't like that. I do. If you play well in Age of Steam, you will do well. 
If you make mistakes, you will fail. The other great thing about Age of Steam is this, simply the number of maps and the amount of variants added to the game. There's got to be over 50 or so maps that are readily available for the game, and each one changes the game just a little bit. So you have to adjust and sort of, you, you know the game system, but you have to work within those parameters and figure out, all right, what's the best way to deal with this map and those rules that have been added to this system? Don't let anyone tell you that Steam is a better game. If you want the true experience of this system, it's all about Age of Steam. And Age of Steam is a fantastic game. And it's my number one game of all time. So that's it. There you have it. How to Play's Top 50 Games. I hope you heard about some games maybe you hadn't thought about before. I hope you enjoyed hearing my opinions on on why I enjoy some of these games, or, or maybe learn about a game you want to find out more about. Many of these games you can learn from the How to Play podcast, and if you haven't yet, download those episodes and check that out. I don't know if I'll do this list every year, but hopefully in, in a couple years I'll be able to do another Top 50 and see how things have changed. I hope you enjoyed this list, and come back soon for our next episode, episode number 24 of How to Play where I'll be back to teach you another great game. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Sturm from the How to Play Podcast. One, two, three, four. This has been Ryan Sturm from the How to Play Podcast. How to Play is written, recorded, edited, produced, promoted, and financed by Ryan Sturm. How to Play is a one-man, independent podcast not affiliated with any game vendor or game company. If you like How to Play podcast, I count on you to support it. You can help out by joining and participating in the guild, donating financially to the show, writing reviews or rating the show on iTunes, help talk up the show in your game group or on the forums at BoardGameGeek, and even just thumb announcements of new episodes. We have no contests, no gimmicks, no advertisements, no plugs to game websites or companies. All of the show's content is free of all bias, save for one, my own. And that is due to your own continuing support. Please consider supporting the show in some way today. I love to hear feedback from you, and I can be contacted through our discussion forum on the Guild at BoardGameGeek. Or I can be emailed at howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. This podcast home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Thanks again, everybody, and until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games.